0: Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? You <laughs> Greetings, dear listeners. This is Jonah Goldberg, uh, host of the Remnant podcast. Although you wouldn't know it from listening to it recently, um, I am back from my um, my European adventure um and yes i was on the european part i was in the european part of turkey not the asian slash anatolian part um and i know there are brits who think the uk is not part of europe but shut up so anyway um uh i am back i am a little i've been a little under the weather because 2022 um just keeps screwing with me like i am a member of a little, of a LA gang that wants out and it just decides that it has to kick me um, over and over again. So uh, uh, we decided, I decided I wanted to do a little catch up on the punditry that I missed. And I figured a good person to go to uh, was our very own uh, uh, Andrew Egger, who is, what is your title now? Egger. I'm an
1: associate editor, Jenna. Okay. But I am um, also happy to provide punditry for all occasions
0: yes we'll we'll punditize for food um, I've seen They're you with fair. that sign on l Street quite a few times um uh and so since we are uh uh since yesterday was the final hearing of the January 6 committee um, uh, where they did a criminal referral, I figure we should sort of start on the news and um and then sort of work from there uh So, do you mind if I call you Egger? I just, it's weird. I have an inability to call you Andrew sometimes.
1: Yeah, I've always, it's always interesting how that thing, how that sort of thing works. Uh, It's like everybody in my life. Egger. that's completely fine, Jonah.
0: Okay, Uh, I appreciate it. Goldberg. Thank you. Yeah. See, Goldberg doesn't work because then people think you're talking to some dentist or something. Yeah, it's like
1: like weirdly jocular or something. I don't know.
0: Yeah. And also like, uh, if you put too bad a spin on it, it can just sound inadvertently antisemitic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Goldberg>. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, so with that said, uh, uh, Andrew, uh, any thoughts on the, uh, the news of the, of the last 24 hours?
1: Well, yeah. Uh, so if we're, if we're starting with January 6th, let's start with the news. Um, Nothing new, factual uh, in terms of the the stuff that J, the J six committee has been laying out for 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 months now. Really, this uh, this 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 last um, um, occasion was just to kind of put a bow on the whole thing. But the the headline uh, uh, of the day was obviously the the conclusion, the the next steps that the J6 committee laid out, which, uh, big headline, they uh, just just this quote from Jamie Raskin, we believe this evidence we set forth in our report is more than sufficient for a criminal referral of former President Donald J. Trump and others in connection with this offense, this offense being uh, illegal criminal conspiracy, uh, which makes it unlawful to knowingly and willfully make materially false statements uh, to the federal government. So, uh, essentially, uh, in keeping with The the case the January sixth committee has been laying out this whole time. Uh, Donald Trump knew that the election had not in fact been stolen. He was getting that uh, that that information from all of the people in his orbit, all the trustworthy people in his orbit, all his lawyers, many uh, you know many people on his staff, uh, and essentially time and again he ignored those uh, arguments, those piles of evidence, those uh, pleas, uh, and instead. Lent his ear to the cranks and the kooks who were, uh, essentially saying, no, 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 you can still do this. You can still win this. You can still go fight win. Um, and, uh, that, the, the committee alleges essentially went out and lied to his supporters, uh, time and time again, uh, with the result that, uh, Many bad things happened, one of which was the storming of the Capitol on January 6, 2021. Um, so that's, uh, you know, nothing, no, nothing, no new shockers in terms of the, uh, the information laid out there. Um, but, but yeah, the, uh, the, the newsy, the newsy hook is a criminal referral uh, to the Department of Justice, which is symbolic. You know, they don't, they can't actually make uh, the Department of Justice do that, but, uh, but still pretty striking to see.
0: Yeah. So like yesterday on Twitter, I pointed out that, um, I thought it was historically significant because it's historically significant. I thought it was politically less significant, but I, I think particularly in the wake of the midterms, it's impossible to say it's not significant at all, right? I mean, like we now learn that being too closely associated with Trump had a drag on your efforts to get elected. But um, but legally, I think it's a total nothing burger. Um, um, and... I didn't tweet this, but like arguably you could say it's almost a hindrance for the justice department rather than a help. Um, and, uh, I don't, it's one of these things where you spend a lot of time in Washington and you actually, when you actually follow stuff and you see the way the media covers things, it may, it makes you despair a little bit about the desire to create drama where there shouldn't be. Um, and like, um, like, again, I think he's guilty. I think he's, you know, I think he's guilty as a sin. I think he should have been impeached and all that. But um, uh, can you, I know, I know you're not Isger or French, um, but like, can you think of a scenario where this is actually like, ha- has any legal heft to it whatsoever?
1: Well, what's funny is that the answer is, is even less than usual, right? Like there's, it's, uh, e- even under ordinary circumstances, this would be a purely political move, you know, it would ultimately be the call of, uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland and his underlings at justice, whether they think they could bring forward, uh, charges or not, um, but even more than usual, it's purely symbolic because when Trump launched his campaign, uh, I, man, time has lost all meaning. I guess last month, earlier this month, I can't remember. Um, when Trump la- launched his campaign recently, uh, Merrick Garland came out and he said, "Look, there's these ongoing, you know, criminal probes into uh, a number of uh, aspects of of the former president's behavior, um, in particular." this January 6th stuff and everything leading up to that and uh, the questions of improper handling of classified information with the Mar-a-Lago raid that happened this summer. Uh, and he said, because he's now running for president against Joe Biden, we're going to take all those investigations. We're going to impanel a special counsel uh, and and hand it all over to him so that so as to not have, uh, you know, for, for, for all the reasons you'd ever impanel a special counsel because of the appearance of, of uh, political influence or impropriety at justice. Um, so, so they're 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 really uh when they're taking this referral and they're handing it over to Merrick Garland, uh, I assume, you know, Jack Smith, the new special counsel, he, I'm sure he reads the news too. Uh, but but the whole point of him is that uh these sort of political things, these sort of optical things, um aren't supposed to matter to his investigation, right? He's just supposed to be out there doing his thing uh and and let the facts fall where they may. Um so obviously uh the January 6th committee was never going to just say, oh, well, we got a special counsel, now let's pack it up and go home. They were always going to release this report. But the specific question of the referral, uh, like I say, even more symbolic uh, than it usually is, which is still usually a lot.
0: Yeah, no, it's funny. I mean, I, I wrote a couple columns comments about the, the, the push for a criminal referral over the summer and, you know, will they or won't they and all that kind of stuff. And like, if you talk to anybody who worked on the Hill Congresspeople from both parties have been sending criminal referral letters to the DOJ for a hundred years. I don't know, two hundred years, something like that. And you know, and normally, I think it was Sarah who first explained this to me that, like, at the DOJ, if you got a criminal referral from a committee chair, it merited a formal written response by tradition, but not necessarily legally or anything like that. But if, like Tom Tancredo, said you know, sent you a letter criminally referring the people who put fluoride in the water, um, you know, the DOJ would crumple up, you know, would put it in the round file pretty quickly. And, um, And when you take two seconds to think about it, I mean, just two seconds, you want that to be the case, right? You do not want the idea that, like, Congress can simply declare enemy, you know, criminal enemies of the people by a voice vote on a committee and press criminal charges against them even if i agree with the actual charges for the most part against trump um it's just not how the system works and it's just it's just really weird how so many people sort of have this willful disregard for like like the obvious formalities that are required to live in a country with the rule of law
1: right yeah i mean the issuing political punishments and, and, and sort of fishing expeditions for, for criminal charges and stuff. That's the executive branch's job, right? We need to leave that to the (laughs) FBI. Um, Congress really, you know, separation of powers wise, Congress shouldn't be getting involved with us. No, no, you're right. Uh, Obviously you are correct.
0: Um, all right. So, uh, again, I I was not following things too closely on this side of the Atlantic, um, um, which is not to imply that I was following things very closely on the other side of the Atlantic either. Um, um, But it seems like, um, Kevin McCarthy, uh, is not having, uh, the best month and he's not there yet to get elected speaker. And, um, um, and it's fair to say that Republicans are in disarray. So what is the state of all that stuff?
1: Yeah, it's 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 funny to see the January sixth committee hustling so hard uh, to get this this report out before the new Congress. Given that, uh, by every indication, as soon as they all take the floor to elect a new speaker, uh, they're going they're, they're going to the, the chamber will immediately be cryogenically frozen. Uh, Congress will never do anything again because uh, we really do have a kind of very funny deadlock uh, in in Republican leadership. They have this very very slim. Uh, four seat majority uh, shaping up in the new Congress, uh, and they can't agree who the new speaker is going to be. There's a block of five uh, uh, Republican members who have said, really, you know, come hell or high water, we are not going to support Kevin McCarthy as the next Speaker of the House. Um, they all have their own. Uh, individual reasons for it some of they don't some of some of them just don't like the guy some of them are like really into these these procedural things they've sort of united behind a couple of uh, procedural demands that McCarthy is not likely to uh, to acquiesce to uh, and uh, and it's really just kind of a, a stalemate at this point because uh, if McCarthy can't get those votes and Democrats remain united against him that's another wrinkle that you know remains to sort of be seen Uh he's not the guy they you you need the 218 votes to to become speaker of the house um so uh so it's a, it's a game of chicken right i mean uh, the pro mccarthy people uh their their response to this has become ha- has been to become extra stringent that they are not budging either you know they're uh, it's kind of funny to see the sort of regular backbenchers all all band together and and start uh you know, wearing pro Kevin paraphernalia and things like that, and 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 really, really putting their backs into it. Like, no, Kevin's the guy. We're not gonna, we're not gonna let you guys put somebody else forward. Nobody else has really been put forward. Andy Biggs is 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 challenging him, but McCarthy beat him, uh, by a by a um ratio of like five votes to one, six votes to one uh, when the Republican Conference voted on who they were going to nominate for Speaker. Um, so it's uh, you know, January 3rd's the day. It's about two weeks away, uh, and uh, and then. I guess they're just gonna stay on the floor until one group or another gets so bored that uh, that they end up uh, cracking and going home. But it's it's it, it's it's really hard to see any scenario where Andy Biggs comes out of this thing as speaker. Um, you know, which I say that, and maybe now it will. But uh, but at the same time, you know the. So, something weird is going to have to happen to have any speaker at all, whether it's Democratic defections, uh, Democrats just voting present to lower the threshold. McCarthy of, of Republicans, McCarthy needs to get it. Um, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's probably not a fun time to be Kevin McCarthy. Feel bad, feel a little bad for his family uh, at Christmas, where he is sort of having to still be <laughs> wheeling and dealing and working the phones. Uh, you know, a month and a half after the election that that, that set all this up.
0: Yeah, although there's some Aesopian about being at least uh, Kevin McCarthy's wife, right? I mean, like she, kn- <laughs> she knew what it was about. But I agree with you. I feel sorry for his kids. Um, I don't know how old his kids are, but, like, they should have Christmas. Um, but I have, I want to be exact in my phrasing of this. I have zero, a total vacuum, um, a, 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 a nullity of sympathy for Kevin McCarthy. Um, this is the life he has chosen. Uh, these are the problems that he has created. And, um, and I'm totally open to the idea that he is like the best option the Republicans have and the countries have right now to be speaker. I still don't have any sympathy for him. Um, this is, this is his doing and, um, he should stand there in his, his wrongness.
1: It is somewhat, it's a little mystifying. Like, what's so good about being in leadership in Congress? I mean, it's not, the the graft is not what it used to be from what I am from what I am told. Um, and you just kind of have to try to get everybody to cooperate when they all have no interest in doing that and no incentives to do that. And it just seems like a kind of a lame job.
0: Well, you know, like, so like, it's funny you say this. So like, I, because I'm, I've been in Washington for a very long time now, um, I've had to give sort of career advice to lots of young people. And one of the things I always tell, like particularly the interns is it's great to go work on the Hill, but not for very long. Um, And I'm sure you've seen this um, where like part of the problem with the Hill is that it is. um, It has sufficient scale that it's basically like a giant college campus for young people. Um, Social life There's a bit, there's just a large enough social ecosystem that you go to hill bars, you go to hill parties, you have hill friends, you have hill competitions, hill softball stuff. And very quickly, like the status class anxiety things of normal life melt away. And it's all like, you know, you have this badge to get to ride in this elevator. Did you go on this Codel with this guy and that kind of thing. And, and if you stay there too long, you can go native. And you can think it's like the entire, you can be, as they say in Shawshank, you can get institutionalized. And I think that like, that's one of the things that the speaker thing becomes such a big deal is like, it becomes the institutional brass ring kind of thing that you fantasize at for so long that you kind of don't realize it's not worth selling off pieces of your soul for. And, um, and I think that's triply true for people like McCarthy who were never legislators, right? he was always just a deal maker. And so like the idea of being a committee chair or crafting legislation or anything kind of thing has never had much appeal to him. He's always been like trying to get to the speakership. And so there's a certain kind of, you know, biblical poetic justice to all of this. Um, but um, um, I agree that it's, it, it's not, it shouldn't be worth the, the, the the soul crushing crawling on glass to get it kind of thing. Um, but so is there some greater explanation for why Marjorie Taylor green is like pro Kevin McCarthy and Lauren Bobbert isn't. And I mean, it's very interesting to see the, the I, I, it was, it was a nice Christmas surprise to come or Hanukkah surprise to come home from my trip and and see that Lauren Barber and Marjorie Taylor Greene now hate each other. I mean, it's, it's the Godzilla versus Mothra that I needed.
1: Well, I, I do think it's interesting. I mean, the, the, the kind of glum and cynical take, uh, is that in today's Republican party, the, the, the fringe has become central enough that, that, you know, it's not, they're not just kind of one faction out there. Um, you mm-hmm, can, mm-hmm. you can be completely fringe in like 95 different ways. Uh, and there are many rooms in
0: the mansion of yeah, craziness.
1: Yeah, and, and 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 attach yourself to really any any strategic faction that you think is in your own interest in the party and they'll have you <laughs> because there's yeah. no there's no incentive to to keep you at arm's length. Um and you can really see that with McCarthy where where, you know, his primary adversaries this time around have been the House Freedom Caucus, you know, they they are the group that has been seeding the opposition to him all along. Uh, and Marjorie Taylor Greene is a kook, but from Kevin McCarthy's perspective is the kook who has been nicest to him. Right. Um, he, and, and, and he definitely has, has things to give her. He is, he is uh, an extremely important figure in kind of legitimizing her because, uh, Democrats kicked her off of her committees a a year or so ago, maybe two years ago. Now, again, time has lost all meaning. Um, and he has said he's going to bring her back. He's said, you know, he's, he has, given his official imprimatur to her style of politics. He said, you're a valued welcome member of the conference. And now, uh, she is routinely trotted out as, uh, (laughs) you know, the most quote unquote base authentic member of the McCarthy coalition. Like, look, even Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, thinks Kevin McCarthy is a, is a good MAGA Republican. Uh, and, and, uh, that probably means that all of these freedom, other freedom caucusers, uh, are not, uh, opposing McCarthy for good maga reasons they're opposing McCarthy for bad selfish personal reasons is kind of the narrative um Lauren Boebert is uh you know another crank almost lost her uh her race in in Colorado this this past time around despite being in a ruby ruby red district uh, she's one of those who has who has come out uh in in um in opposition to McCarthy and they, I mean, there's never really been any indication other than that. These are like two very public, very online members of kind of the far MAGA coalition. Um, there's never been like any real indication that they are particularly friendly or like congressional allies or anything like that. They, they, they more resemble one another, um, stylistically than anything else. But, uh, and, and, and so I don't know, you know, whether they're very public disagreement about this, uh, uh, is like a rupture of anything that 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 happened before, um, but but yeah, I mean Marjorie Taylor Greene specifically calling out Bobert for almost losing her race, uh, uh, things like that, um, in all, all, all kind of as as uh, a downstream fight from this this bigger fight over the speakership.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's an. I mean, it would be interesting to know, though, not really interesting to investigate uh, whether this is mostly just the narcissism of small differences, right? Where like. I am the head. I drive the clown car, not you, right? You know, and um, uh, and that they just resent each other for um, entirely non-ideological reasons. Um, and although you would just think, like descript- described on paper, Bobert would have a higher incentive structure to cozy up to McCarthy than. Green does because she doesn't have a safe seat, right? Because she almost lost by 500 votes. And I, I, I kind of feel like the people who turned out against her weren't turning out against her because she was, um, insufficiently sort of MAGA or, inso. you know what I mean? It was like, uh, it, it Green's district apparently likes her in a way that Bobrick's this district doesn't. And you would think she, the calculus would be to win back some sort of saner Republicans, but we well, I, again, I I don't know.
1: Yeah, and I think the other the other element of it is just that kind of when it when it comes to political messaging, the the kind of MAGA uh, lexicon that that Boebert and Green and people like these the, these folks are drawing from, uh, it is it's always you know one hundred and ten percent. It's always the 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 pedal turned up to eleven. It's always the kind of paranoid style. It's always friends and enemies. So there's really no there's no way for them to kind of publicly disagree with one another about this Kevin McCarthy thing without essentially accusing each other of being, uh, you know, uh, crypto traders (laughs) to the movement. Right. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, it, which is very interesting to see that style applied to what is at the end of the day, like a pure power game, like like whether Kevin McCarthy or Andy Biggs or Steve Scalise become speaker will matter in some small procedural ways, of course, um, it may even have an effect on policy, uh, if Republicans retake the Senate and the presidency later. Um, but it's, it's all, it's all jockeying. It's all, um, you know, the, the, the popularity contest right now uh, with, 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 with no no payoff in terms of, like, outcomes for, for, for the country except procedurally and, and in a deferred uh, way. So it's just kind of funny to see this this complete, like, sort of meltdown between what, what you would expect to be fellow travelers uh, over g- just given those realities.
0: Do you have a position on, on the... We, let me put it this way. We're, we're supposed to do likelihood things, right? Um, uh, 10 being... Metaphysical certainty, zero being absolute impossibility. Um, what do you think the odds of there being a non-member of the House um, being elected speaker?
1: Uh, that's a great question,
0: uh, Jonah. I
1: simply, <laughs> you, you want a number, you want a number? Uh, I, think it's a, I think it's a zero. I think if, if yeah. that happens, I will, I will, I'll go into, I'll join a monastery.
0: Yeah, um, I I, I, have no I put it. At, to say that. I, I don't put it at zero. I put it at like point one, right? Well, I
1: put it. I put it at zero, and that means when it doesn't happen, I will be more correct than you. <laughs> if it does, I'll, I'll be un, It'll be unfortunate because I have no so, reason, no particular reason, not to think it would happen. But it just seems, it just seems a little, a little too cute, don't you think?
0: Well, I mean, I, I, the idea of making Trump speaker, I think, is one of the most hilarious things out there. I mean, like, regardless of the whole steal the election stuff and all that kind of thing, or his unfitness to be president. His unfitness to be speaker is really just astounding. (laughs) It's like speaker involves like knowing parliamentary procedure and that kind of stuff. And like the idea that he's going to know, Right, what the right. rules are, or that kind of thing.
1: You can kind of see the argument that if that if the way if the only way that the, that this Congress functions is by ruling the Republican Conference with an iron fist and and brooking no dissent whatsoever, and just coming down like with the fist of God on anybody who puts even one toe out of line, Donald Trump's pretty pretty well practiced in that role. You know, I think he could he could uh, he could do that part of the job. Yeah,
0: if he had a majority of like. If he had like a sixty seat majority and could afford to like just defenestrate one person after another and still hold on to the speakership, that would be one thing. But
1: if he took a new job, you would you would have to add a a new a new card to his NFT collection. Which, speaking of news that you uh, you might have missed in your travels, I don't know if you followed
0: that broke through on the other side. (laughs) Um, um, It was interesting. So, like, I, I think listeners know this. I play this dumb game, Star Trek Fleet Command, on my phone quite a bit and it's got a chat function and like I don't think anybody on there knows that like I'm involved in politics or any of that kind of stuff because I don't tell people that kind of thing um, maybe someone will find out now and uh, it was interesting because there are there are MAGA people in there and like everyone was just sort of like oh my god this is so embarrassing um, and um, um, and then I saw the banding clip where he was like furious. It's always, it's always, the, the, the Bannon attacks on Trump are always of the, if only the czar new variety. It's like, <laughs> I don't know who's advising him to do this kind of stuff, but we're at war, not selling trading cards. Marr. But uh, it sounds like it's on its own terms. It was kind of a success. No?
1: Yeah. I mean, come on. Steve Bannon probably has a merch shop, right? Like where does he, where does he draw the line? Nobody else is allowed to go out and, and make an honest dollar in this economy.
0: Um, can you explain to me very quickly, like, what an NFT is? It's such a horrible thing (laughs) to ask me. No,
1: it's. uh, I mean, I think I think Trump was basically right. It's kind of like a digital trading card, right? I mean, it's like it 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 is supposed to scratch the same itch that a trading card is supposed to scratch. Where, like, yeah, in theory, uh, you could infinitely photocopy this. So, what's the value? But the value is that we've all agreed, as enthusiasts, as NFT enthusiasts, that uh, that this thing you know, this particular thing, because this particular piece of paper was printed by the tops corporation. Um, this is the one that matters. Uh, and, and, you know, this is the, this is the the digital Trump trading card that was printed by the blockchain. So, uh, so this is the one that matters and you, the one that you pay a hundred dollars for. For me, the, 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 the most fun of, of, uh, baseball card collecting was always, uh, Getting really neurotic about how good of like physical condition the cards were in, mm-hmm. um, you know, like like sending them off to be graded and things, um, uh, which you know, and there's nothing to that that for NFTs they don't they don't degrade. Your kid brother can't you know bend them by accident. Um, so it's a much more joyless hobby, in my opinion. But uh, but I guess people like it.
0: It is incredibly stupid, but it's a good point about the degrading thing um, because I hadn't really thought about that. It means. Well right, so but to back up because like I, when I was reading about the, the the trading card thing, it had two categories of people: people who owned the who owned a token and people who simply held one and I could not muster the enthusiasm to figure out what the distinction there is, but I, it felt like holding one was just like having a digital copy of the token but not actually having the token? You have no idea. You're I regret,
1: I cannot ride to your rescue on this one at yeah. all. I didn't, even, okay. I didn't even know those the, that distinction before you mentioned it just now. Yeah,
0: and, and and I find that it's, I'm sure there's a good term for this in sociology, right, and beyond like gnosis. But um, <laughs> uh, there's, it's funny how when there are these new things, because you're old enough to remember when no one talked about crypto because it wasn't a thing, Right. When some of these new things emerge, the journalists who cover them get so immersed in it that they start to think that they're, and they only hear from the readers who are really into it, that they start speaking in the language of the stuff that forms an impenetrable epistemological cognitive barrier to the average reader, because you don't know the terminology and the lingo and all of that kind of stuff. And so it becomes self-reinforcing that the people who are writing in this esoteric esoteric language of this stuff, because they, they never hear from the people who say, or don't hear proportionally from the people who say, I have no idea what you're talking about um, because those people have already turned off and aren't following it anymore. And so like when I was, when you try to read up on the crypto stuff, it's very difficult to find reporters who are aware of this problem um, and you've, and it, and it comes up in all sorts of things you could see it happen in real time with like COVID coverage and all of that, where very quickly people would be like, uh, talking about, you know, uh, you know, obscure antibody issues as if everybody is fluent in that kind
1: of thing. Yeah. I, I never, I never thought about it in, in that way. It's almost like, uh. A- just like a a Lovecraftian horror element, you know, you, there's, it's just the body of Eldritch knowledge, and 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 if you even you have to be careful if you even brush up against it, it'll ruin you, ruin you for the world.
0: Yeah, this is um one of my always my biggest. Com- uh, it's not my biggest complaint about Madonna because I have many actually, um. But when she announced that she was uh, studying Kabbalah, um, which is a very obscure branch of Jewish mysticism, which the most learned rabbis are not allowed to even dip a toe into until they are at least 40 years of age and have mastered the Torah and the Talmud and all this kind of stuff. And the idea that Madonna had done all of her due diligence before getting into Kabbalah just struck me as implausible. Um, But I, you know, on a side note, this is, this is a very similar dynamic to what has ruined a lot of pundits over my many years of doing this is that people start to listen to their biggest fans and they you know, that's what sort of happened to Ann Coulter. It's sort of what happened to Pat Buchanan. It happens to a lot of people. And what they, and their biggest fans, you know, no one goes to see, you know, the Rolling Stones perform their new stuff. They just want to hear, you know, the greatest hits kind of thing. And you get this sort of same kind of dialogue where you're uh, you're just listening to an audience that um, that is too deep in the weeds for your own good, if you're overly responsive to them. Um, but, uh, before I get further into life lessons of a dyspeptic Jonah Goldberg, um, uh, you recently written about, uh, Ron DeSantis issuing a uh, grand jury subpoenas or whatnot. What's going on there?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I have a piece up on the site about that, uh, this morning. Um, and it is you know in keeping with the 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 news of last week uh, that 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 folks including yourself might have missed uh, this one flew, flew a little under the radar which is a little surprising i guess people just don't really read or write about covid um outside the people who still do outside the madagascar folks you were you were just talking about because there's just kind of this sense that that that's you know 2020s news and 2021s news, um, but it was a pretty significant development. Um, Ron DeSantis and, and and large, probably largely political, like the uh, like the J six stuff we were talking about before. Um, not necessarily going to have any actual like sort of legal judicial impact. Sorry to do all that throat clearing. What happened was uh, that that Ron DeSantis last week announced that he was requesting that the Florida Supreme Court impanel a grand jury. Uh, to look into possible fraud uh, or other malfeasance on the part—he didn't actually say on the part of uh, the, the the COVID vaccine manufacturers. He kind of just said uh, any possible malfeasance in the realm of of you know COVID policy for the past couple of years. Um, but, but but his. Uh, his filing, his official petition to the court talked a lot about the manufacturers, essentially said that, uh, Pfizer and Moderna, uh, might've been defrauding, uh, the country by, by, uh, inflating how good their, uh, vaccines were going to be, uh, when they were, when they were developing them, when they were, uh, first distributing them. Um, and it's, it's, it's really kind of a dismaying (laughs) document in a lot of ways. I mean, it's, if you, when, when you read the petition, uh, your jaw just kind of hits the floor because for a long time, I mean, Ron Ron DeSantis has had a COVID brand forever. Right. I mean, he's, and it has not been like stringently, uh, vaccine cheerleader. Right. I mean, last year he was, he was very pro, uh, the original mRNA vaccines when they came out in the first half of last year. Uh, you know, as were most people, (laughs) they were, they were pulling us all out of the pandemic with at that point in time, basically no downside. I mean, like, like it, uh, at that point in time, we were still—I think we were still on the Delta variant—and uh, and the vaccines were just like kicking its butt. Like like you wouldn't get you wouldn't uh, get very sick with COVID if you were if you were vaccinated. I, I, for for a little while, there like nobody was getting very sick uh, with COVID if they were vaccinated, and it was even smashing transmission of that variant uh, at the time. Like the the numbers were so good. Uh, and and DeSantis, you know, was was cheerleading for it as as kind of part of his broader brand of like we got to get things back open, you know, like we got to, we, we, we got to move past, past, past this horrible, uh, kind of the federal government comes in and shuts everything down, uh, stage that we were in. And the vaccines are like our best tool yet to do that and to save lives. Um, the second half of the year without really compromising on that, DeSantis became an anti-mandate, uh, cheerleader, uh, you know, for, for, I think our what, what a lot of people would consider purely defensible reasons. I mean, the, the, uh, still maintaining, you know, these vaccines are good. Uh, but if for one reason or another, you don't want to get one, and, you know, it was becoming increasingly c- clear, there was a tranche uh, of, of people and largely Republican voters who weren't going to. Um, the government shouldn't be able to come in and ruin your life. Uh, shouldn't be able to make your employer fire you, uh, was the biggest one, because the Biden administration tried to make... <laughs> many, many, many businesses uh, impose a vaccine mandate uh, for for a while until the Supreme Court struck, struck that down. Um, but anyway, the, the through line through all that was Ron DeSantis uh, supports the scientific fact that the vaccines will keep you from becoming very seriously sick or dying of COVID almost all the time. Um, unbelievably effective still uh, at doing that. Um, and now to have this new filing come out where he is uh, essentially taking he kind of wraps all of the kind of grievances about uh, any, any kind of grievance that, that a person could possibly have about the vaccines, uh, the stuff about the mandates, uh, the stuff about some of the side effects that, that, that came out later, specifically the, 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 the very rare, but very serious, potentially side effect myocarditis, um, uh, uh, inflammation of the heart in, in a few, a few young men who took the vaccine. Um, he kind of wraps all that up into a ball and says, uh, we heard from the experts quote unquote, uh, that this vaccine was going to keep you from getting sick. Uh, and that has turned out not to be the case. And the fact that, you know, Joe Biden and Anthony Fauci and all these people said it was going to be the case, uh, maybe suggests that, uh, the vaccine executives were whispering in their ear, uh, that, that, uh, that these were going to be better than they ended up being. It's, 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 it's unbelievably disingenuous. It's unbelievably cynical. Um, the quote, Those quotes from the likes of Fauci and Biden that he cites are from early 2021, when all the data that was coming out was that, fortuitously, the vaccines were doing better than we knew that they would at stopping transmission. When, when Pfizer and Moderna uh, applied for their emergency use authorizations to the FDA, they explicitly said, we don't know what this is going to do for transmission. We know it'll keep you from getting really sick. Uh, we don't have the data on, on what's going to happen as far as like whether it will actually stop you from, uh, transmitting the thing. Uh, it, but, but early on it was like, no, it actually, uh, it turns out they're, they're better than expected. And that was with Delta, right? So then you get Omicron, uh, coming, coming around and that's no longer the case. And, and you get a lot of people kind of rolling their eyes like, well, I thought this vaccine was going to stop me from getting sick. Uh, And so, I don't know, I'm kind of rambling about the whole thing.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, like, I'm with you. I I mean, again, I'm not super up to speed on it, but I'm with you that scientifically this is a pretty indefensible argument to make if you actually look at the timeline of how this stuff rolled out, and also the idea that somehow the representations of Politicians and public officials who are supposed to do their own due diligence on this. You know, I like mean, the idea that Fauci is just going to take the PR shop at Moderna's word for things—just he's supposed to look at the data, right, and like make his own representations. Um, but the idea that the cor- these corporations are on the hook for the representations made by third parties—I'm I'm no lawyer, but it strikes me as a as a stretch to begin with. I, I just wonder if you're being um, uh, overly sincere and earnest about this. and taking Pollyanna-ish, maybe? Well, not but Pollyanna, you know, that's a little sort of rosy, rose-colored glasses kind of thing. I mean that you're not being cynical enough, which is to say the cynicism is the point, right? Um, I don't think that DeSantis ever thought his social media policeman's act of 2021 or whatever that thing was was ever going to pass uh, judicial muster. Um, I don't even think that he ever intended for his, you know, attack on Disney to hold water for too long. Um, The point of this seems to me to be um, entirely political, right? And like in particular, what's interesting about it to me is because I agree with you, it's weird. He had a brand as a um, sort of a COVID realist which cuts both ways, right? I mean, COVID realism isn't COVID denial and it's not COVID panic, right? And that seems to me is like the sort of sweet spot. Um, And he sort of followed the data and he had command of the data. At first blush, just listening to you talk about it, it sounds to me like what he is trying to do is inoculate himself and send a shot across the bow of the Trump people that he's going to make COVID A central issue. He didn't do lockdowns and school closures. Trump did, right? Um, And that his handling of COVID was better than Trump's handling of COVID. Um, And this is a way to sort of get that narrative started, no?
1: Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right as far as the political tea leaves of the thing are concerned, because COVID, and and in particular the vaccines, um, are are one area where Trump remains a little bit out of step with at least portions of his own base. Um, Because Trump, correctly, Wants to be able to take credit for Operation Warp Speed and the extremely rapid development and deployment of these vaccines, which in retrospect was a huge win for the Trump administration. Um, I mean, just just the, the the fact that they took all economic uncertainty out of this development process let Pfizer and Moderna charge ahead, um, and and it was a real feather in their cap, and and you know, the, perfectly in keeping with with Trump's kind of like. Uh, maximalist he just kind of have the will to do it kind of kind of vision of policymaking, which which you know ran aground 50 different ways in his presidency but in this case worked great uh and probably saved a bunch of lives uh definitely pulled us out of the total war stage of the pandemic faster than we otherwise would have uh but a bunch of his base on this one thing for all these strange cultural reasons don't, don't want to hear that don't want to hear that from him uh and so and so you can totally see how Desantis. uh sees it as too good of an opportunity to pass up in terms of being like like wooing that group I on the political side of things I, I do find it a little weird I would find it more uh, understandable if DeSantis were still like trying to get his foot in the door like trying to get that toehold trying to find that chink in the armor for Trump um, to, to to really like make it the inevitability of a next Trump nomination. Not not seem so inevitable for people, but I just think that's already here. You know, like mm-hmm. like in the wake of the midterms, like Trump looks very vulnerable. It's very clear voters don't need don't don't don't, don't see themselves as needing like anybody's permission to like shop around for a twenty twenty four candidate. Uh, and DeSantis is beating Trump in in uh, at least a few head to head polls that are coming out, like like just in the past couple weeks. So it's just it just seems like a weird time to make that to to to. T- to make that particular heel turn for, for DeSantis, but you know, he's the most successful Republican politician in America right now. And I am not. So who knows who can say,
0: I don't know. Is he, I mean, is he, um, he's certainly the most successful Republican politician looking to be president. Right. Um,
1: that's all I mean. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm a campaigns guy now, Jonah. I, I, I do Fair. the, I do the cynical stuff. I, 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 think in terms of, in terms of that, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And in a, in a broader sense, you know, probably there are, more successful ones.
0: Since we're on campaign stuff, uh, where do you put Trump's chances these days, and why?
1: Less and less and less. I mean, it it, it seems like DeSantis is in pole position at the present moment. You know, all polls are a snapshot in time. Uh, we had these developments that got us here. There will be more developments to get us somewhere else. But he just doesn't feel it. Doesn't feel like 2020. In 2020. To to say that you were thinking about voting for somebody other than Trump for a Republican voter was to take a moral position on the acceptability of the Trump presidency that uh, that almost all Republican voters were not willing to take because they 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 wanted to be team players they they thought the Trump administration on net had been a good administration uh, and and they they weren't gonna try to. Uh, to, to, to even like look at another candidate was not was not really in 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 kind of their decision tree, and that's just not the case now. Everybody's willing to look for another candidate now, uh, even even like people who were, you know, the, he he's got his supporters, he's got his MAGA his MAGA folks, um, and they'll turn out and they'll vote. But like a lot of people who have considered themselves MAGA in the past will vote for Ron DeSantis in the primary in twenty twenty four if 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 present trends continue. So uh, and and you know there's. I, I when I was in Georgia before the before the Georgia runoff, you'd go to Herschel Walker rallies, uh, and and you know Herschel was pretty hand in glove with Trump, uh, definitely channeled a lot of the same kind of energy, uh, and and I talked to a lot of voters, and they're just hardly anybody was like it's Trump or bust for me, um, mm-hmm. hardly anybody even said he was their he was necessarily their first choice. A lot of people said they hadn't made up their minds. A lot of people mentioned DeSantis. A couple people mentioned Mike Pompeo for some reason. Um, you know, it's it, it's 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 anybody's field right now, and that does that does that doesn't play to Trump's favor because in in a lot of respects he's kind of a has been as weird as that is to say now.
0: Yeah, but isn't part of the problem that particularly since with the rule changes from 2012 in primaries, you just you still just need a sticky plurality because you have so many winner take all or near all primaries, um, and it's just it like. The sweet spot is to have like four serious people running, not fourteen, and it feels right now that we're closer to fourteen than than four. Um, on the other hand, why hasn't Trump done any campaign events? I mean, other than sell NFTs.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's weird. He just. He, I don't. I don't want to like do any speculation about Trump himself. He when 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 you when you watch like his. His his NFT announcement video, or you know, uh, closer to the point, his campaign announcement and things, it just doesn't you just don't really get the sense that, like that there's a lot of fire in the belly. Uh, like like he 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 built his 16 campaign on like pure vibes, right? It was it was the bravado, it was the chip on the shoulder, it was the you know the like nobody can fix it but me. And he like still says all the same stuff, but he's just. I don't know it it doesn't it doesn't hit it doesn't hit the same uh these days and i
0: yeah i mean it i agree with you it's funny though like ramesh uh panuru has always made a good point that part of the reason why trump was success, was successful in twenty sixteen is that even though I agree with you he was like largely running as a vibe candidate, the vibes were aligned with a bunch of republican issues, primarily immigration stuff mm-hmm. and You can't, it's sort of like, you know, there's there's some, in philosophy, there's some phrase for this, but like, you know, you can't read a, you can't read a book the same way, you can't read a book for the first time twice, right? Mm -hmm. You can't like, and so like, you can't repeat that sense of, well, maybe this is the guy to roll the dice on. He's, you know, uh, we don't know what his actual presidency will be like. We now know basically what his presidency would be (laughs) like. And um, because we, we lived through it and, um, and he doesn't have any new issues. You know, he, he can't claim to have solved immigration because he didn't. Right. He can't claim to, I mean, he claims he built the wall. He didn't. Um, And he can't come up with any new issues that sort of, get the, the I don't know about this guy crowd back in line because you can't say I don't know about this guy anymore because we know about this guy, right? He was president of the United States for four years. And so, you know.
1: And the, I mean, I do think this is one area where his unbelievably successful domination and and reconstruction of the Republican Party, just remaking the whole, the whole institution in his personal image, doesn't necessarily play to his benefit in twenty twenty four, right? I mean, you you see that sometimes with with like the with trailblazers. I mean, like it's 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 the Seinfeld effect, right? I mean, Seinfeld comes along and and rewrites uh, what it means to be a sitcom, and then everybody, you know, it's unbelievably uh, uh, unique and new, and and there's like a genius to it, uh, and then everybody copies that, uh, and then now if you're sitting down to watch a sitcom. Uh, you might you might not pick Seinfeld because if you're because anything you were going to get out of Seinfeld you can get out of 15 other shows and that that might be the story of the primary right I mean if it, Ron DeSantis is a Trumpian candidate uh, and a lot of the reasons why uh, everybody who who wanted to vote in that way coalesced around him in 2016 is because there were. A bazillion people running, and he was the guy in that in that lane. He was the guy who encapsulated that energy. Uh, and that's not going to be the case now. Uh, yeah. Almost anybody who runs, outside of you know Larry Hogan, I mean, even Nikki Haley will will will, will make a play for that space, even though obviously dispositionally she's not. Uh, that's not who she is. She's not. She's not a Donald Trump type. But the Nikki Haley's of the world, the Mike Pences of the world. Are are coming to try to make their case to the mega base. Some people will do that more effectively than others, but but it's just you know it's not the same it's not the same party as it was in 2016. And he doesn't he doesn't corner that market.
0: Yeah. So I mean, like, I got two questions about that. One is like, um, like, so this has been a, a peeve of mine for a very long time. People talking about the rhino establishment of the GOP. Um. First of all, they always mean rhino as if a really super solid, consistent, ideological conservative shouldn't be a rhino, right? I mean, like, just sort of contextually, linguistically, if your biggest priority is being a conservative, then you should be a Republican in name only because your priorities aren't with the party. Their priorities are with these other Mm -hmm. things. But it's come to mean squish, moderate, even in some cases, globalist and all this stuff, right? So. It was it. It's been BS for a very long time that the party has been run by rhino squishes. The Republican Party has been getting more conservative my entire life, and I, you know, fifteen years ago, I would go give s- speeches where people would say, "When are we going to get the Nelson Rockefeller Republicans out of House leadership or uh, Congress's leadership?" And was, I was like, "Nelson Rockefeller Republicans? I mean, you can literally find them in dinosaur poop fossils." <laughs> um, there are no Nelson Rockefeller Republicans. Like the Nixonians are gone too, and they were to the left of anybody in leadership. I mean, Paul Ryan and John Boehner, Newt Gingrich, all of those guys were more right wing than any leaders that the Republican Party has ever seen before. Mitch McConnell too. So, and now that the RNC is basically you know uh, infested um, with you know mini magas all over the place. At what point can Republicans, can can the MAGA crowd stop friggin' talking about the establishment is out to get us, you know, and it is picking on us. The establishment is them. I mean, like the, 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 the sort of Paul Ryan, Ben Sass types, um, you know, we are the rebel alliance now. We're not the establishment. And I, I just it's 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 a very weird thing. And it depends upon mass ignorance about the actual political realities in Washington that you can talk about how the establishment is out to get us. Um, and that, you know, we're this beleaguered minority of, of, of rebels.
1: I had a funny, a funny conversation, uh, way back in primary season of this past, of this past election, uh, when I was writing about Madison Cawthorn in North Carolina, uh, with, a with a Republican operative down there, who'd been a, a, involved with the North Carolina state party for a while. And he, he, he had a very funny anecdote about like how they would have party elections, um, you know, like running for 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 county chair or you know state state chair of the party of North North Carolina or whatever, uh, and you'd always have these people campaigning uh, on on you know uh, throwing out the bums, get rid of the establishment, uh, and and put me in instead. He's like literally by definition, when you win that election, you are you are the effing establishment, is what, right. is what, what he said. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's the you know it's it's a it's a rubric for. For, for passing off electoral losses on, on somebody else is really the, that's the whole of it.
0: I mean, you can make the case about McConnell where he actually is, because he's the majority, or the minority leader. He's a minority leader, not a majority leader, because the frigging MAGA establishment screwed him. But, uh, like, McConnell is very conservative. And um, um, and he's like the last politi- Republican politician of prominence that, is an actual institutionalist that doesn't want to be president one day, um, um, but like the you can make a case that Marjorie Taylor Greene is more of the Republican establishment because she's like a top lieutenant politically in some ways to Kevin McCarthy than I don't know who's like a famously rhinos than Mitt then, Romney, then Mitt Romney, yeah, or or Lisa Murkowski. You know, um, it's just, it's all just so friggin' weird. <laughs> but I can't remember what my, oh, the other, the other thing you're, it, it's the way you describe it kind of reminds me of the um, Bernie Sanders phenomenon in 2016 and 2020, where Hillary Clinton wins as, I, I think it's, I use this very advisorly and, and with all, knowledge of the irony of me saying it, basically is a right-wing Democrat for all intents and purposes in the primaries, right? I mean, it shows you how far left the Democratic Party has moved, that she counts as a right-wing Democrat, but she she was seen as part of the establishment, Democrats, blah, 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 blah.
1: Just kind of willing to say like, hey, look, you know, we need to be realistic about some of this stuff.
0: Right, and she reached, she worked a little bit across the aisle as a senator from New York, and again, not a huge fan of Hillary Clinton, but um, Bernie Sanders almost beats her, but you can look this up doesn't. <laughs> and yet in 2020, something like 8 of the 12 Democrats running for president, I mean actually like 10 of the 12 Democrats running for president all ran in the what they thought was the Bernie Sanders lane. And um we'll see who how it shakes out in 2024. Um but it feels like a lot of people think that the only way to win is to run in the MAGA lane and the MAGA lane may be very 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 crowded. And I'm not saying this is how we're going to have a Hogan presidency, but the game theory might not work the way a lot of these people think it's going to work.
1: Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I think I think that's the that is the perhaps Pollyanna-ish internal logic of like a Mike Pence campaign is that uh, you know he's not the most exciting guy in the race and you might fall asleep while he's talking uh, on the debate stage or whatever, but he could plausibly play both to people who were happy with the accomplishments of the Trump administration and to people who respected what he did, uh, you know, standing up to Trump about the election, um, kind of kind of uh, transcend these categories that we're talking about. I don't know how many I don't know how many of those voters there are to, to, to make that work, but I guess that's why we actually have uh, the process and not just have us decide in advance who should get the nomination.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I hadn't thought about it until just this moment. You're my, you're my muse this morning, Andrew. But like, <laughs> uh, Pence is a little bit like Joe Biden in the sense that, can you name, have you ever met anybody who didn't get a paycheck directly from either the Biden campaign or the Biden White House? that was just wildly pro-Biden, like really into Joe Biden, Uh, Leslie Nope into Joe Biden. And just like those people don't exist. And um, similarly, I don't know that I know anybody who doesn't think they're in line to get a campaign job or a White House job who is just like really into Mike Pence.
1: I will say that in the 2020 primary, I do think that there was a kind of underrepresented in media, really, really normie Democratic voter who just kind of had a... I don't know if like interpersonal sympathy, they, they, I they did, I, they identified with Joe Biden more than, than, than with a bunch of the other people running for like a bunch of different reasons. And I, and I think, I think he needs that to win in, in 2020. And I'm not sure Mike Pence has it with any particular group of, I mean, I guess like really evangelical social conservatives, um, who, who, who are the, the, the kind of breed of, of social conservative evangelical that is primarily religious rather than political. Um, I think maybe they, they, maybe they would have that, that same sort of identification with Pence. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I don't know, I don't know demographically how large of a...
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's, 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 I mean, the cultural valence is very different. I agree. But like until 2016, essentially, the reason Republicans ran to the right in primaries wasn't to like win the whole of the primary vote. It was to add 20% or so of the primary vote to the 40% of like sort of the squishy mainstream vote that they already had. Right. And it was a, it was a combination effect. And, um, you could see a scenario again, I don't think Pence deserves to be the nominee, but I would take him in a heartbeat over Trump. I would take DeSantis in a heartbeat over Trump. I would take, you know, uh, president Bobcat. Yeah. Inanimate steel rod over (laughs) Trump. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the things that sort of, and then again, I don't like the term, but like never Trump types um, need to make peace with is that um, we're not going to get the great satisfying end to all of this that that we want. <laughs> and um, uh, in part because we have laws in the books preventing the really satisfying ends. But um, <laughs> uh, we'll just leave that to people's imagination. But no, like and so. Hence is a guy that I would trust to be a fairly. I would disagree with some of his political stuff, just like I would with DeSantis. But at the end of the day, I think he'd be a fairly responsible within the within the 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 guardrails of democracy kind of president, and you know, and, and that's fine. Um, but he could be the he could be the least objectionable guy to the most people if the primaries go a certain way, and. Um, I'm sure that's their theory. Um, it would make him an incredibly weak president because there'd be just so few people out there who are willing to jump on a grenade for Mike Pence. <laughs> but there are very few people willing to jump on a grenade for Joe Biden, and and he's, he's gotten a lot of stuff under his
1: belt. Yeah, yeah. No, I I mean, just just on kind of a purely personal and professional level, I am just really excited for the 2024 cycle. Like, it just seems like we're gonna, the most boring outcome would be Trump got Trump glide path to renomination Biden glide path to renomination and I don't think that's the likeliest scenario at this point I yeah. think we are actually going to get an opportunity for all the voters to come out and tell us what kind of party they, they want to see and that that's that's exciting as a as a just as a reporter you know
0: so do you think Biden runs again and runs again unchallenged
1: I don't know about unchallenged I think he it, he was he's definitely making noises like he's going to run again um, especially after the the stronger than expected midterm showing um I I do still think that the funniest problem in politics is that Democrats would love to see somebody else do it, but there's really no bench. Um, I mean, who like is, is like, Pete Buttigieg? Pete Buttigieg went so far as the mayor of South Bend, and now he's been Secretary of Transportation, and that's even more important. So maybe, maybe now uh, the 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 South Bend mayor. What's the South Bend? Am I? I think yeah,
0: I think South it's South Bend. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: the South Bend mayor to Department of Transportation to uh, Executive Office of the Presidency pipeline that we have
0: all heard so much about. There are like four or five cities in L.A. County that are larger than South Bend. Um, it is not, you know, a cosmopolitan megapolis. Democrats are
1: just obsessed with baritones at this point. You know, So <laughs> like you have a nice baritone that worked out pretty well in 08 and 12, um, and, uh, and Pete Buttigieg has the, has the baritone.
0: But isn't, isn't the Democrats' problem that, um, and it's very s- similar to the Republicans' problem, is that, you know, this, not to sound like a broken record or overly uh, Yuval Levinish, but, um, you know, you, every four years we get a party elected to um, the White House. They at once are supremely confident that they have this massive mandate and also absolutely terrified that they will lose power any minute now. So they have to swing for the fences and do these really, um uh Overly ambitious, shoot for the moon type things that then invite a backlash that make it a self fulfilling prophecy that they're out of power. Right. And, um, and they, they force, like Nancy Pelosi and Obama did, they force people to buy into things and sign on to things that will cost them their seats, um, for the greater good, yada, yada, yada. And then they do it and they lose their seats and the other team comes in and then they swing the pendulum as hard and as strong as they can the other direction. And if you, actually had people who were interested in the long-term interests of their own party who were elected to office. They would respond to advisors, say, hey, you know, they're advisors who say, hey, you know, you could socialize medicine. They could say, yeah, I could, but it will cost us all of our moderate Democrats for a generation. So maybe we shouldn't do it, even though, yeah, we could, we could steamroll it through you look at all the Democrats that Obama lost because of Obamacare, you know, there's a reason why Claire McCaskill is a strident pundit now on MSNBC is because all of those types lost. We've lost, we haven't necessarily lost a bunch of Republicans who could have been presidential timber, but they haven't run or they have declined. You know, there's like the do and all those guys opted not to run um, f- for anything in 2022, precisely because Trump was a headwind. We lost a bunch of seats Are we- they lost a bunch of receipts. I got to stop saying that about Republicans since I'm not a we anymore. Um, and um, if you actually had a Republican or Democratic president who could think beyond their own place in the history books and think beyond the next, um, the next election cycle, you could actually have a president that could create an enduring majority for a party by not being the, for being the not crazy party but that that option just seems crazy to people.
1: Yeah, I mean if you if you could have a, a class of politicians that could see past immediate term incentives, you could do a lot more than that, right? <laughs> you could you wouldn't, wouldn't just be about the power. You could you could get some stuff done around
0: here. But that's not the life we have chosen. <laughs> so. All right, Egger. Thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, thank you for having me on. Always. Fun. I should uh, I should be clear to the audience. I don't think we did this when we were recording, but I oh, yes, we did. We asked when are we recording whether I can call you Egger. Without getting into trouble with you, so Um, Edgar. um I was touched that you even asked. You, you know, it's true. It's true. A lot of people wouldn't ask. It's not
1: just you over there.
0: Yeah. Hey, look. You know, if you were a guy, I would just be like, "Oh, piss boy." <laughs> um, so you know, take what you can get. Hey, have you watched? Uh, ever seen this show, Endeavor? No, I haven't. I'm not sure you should. Uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, my wife and I are looking for a new British show. Uh, our new show, and we found this British. Like detective thing, and apparently it's a prequel to this Morse series that was big in the 80s in the UK, but this came out 10 years ago, so it's a prequel set that was filmed 20 years after the original. It's all very confusing. Anyway, the main character is this British savant, Oxford-trained, socially awkward uh, young police detective, detective in Oxfordshire, and he has extremely strong Jack Butler vibes. Um it's it was a little off putting. Like I, I said last night when we were watching it, he kind of reminds me of Jack Butler. And my wife was like, Oh my god, yes. Um sort of socially awkward, uh, not quite serial killer, but sillier, serial killer adjacent. Um and uh it's interesting because I, I I've not seen a character in pop culture that, that reminds me of 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 Jack Butler today. I see lots of gingers that remind me of you. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, that's uh, we'll we'll have to throw it on the list. We are like woefully behind in terms of watching the shows that that people talk about in polite society. You know, we we uh we we watched the pilot of Better Call Saul this week, which we're excited about. Um, but you know,
0: really, you even like the reason my wife and I need another show. We just rewatched all six seasons of Better Call Saul. Oh yeah, it took us months. Yeah, I heard Um, it's pretty good. It's great. Uh, you you you've seen Breaking Bad, yes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that took us a few years too, though to get through it. it. Took it was really interesting rewatching Better Call Saul because it reminded there were lots of things I picked up the second watch that I hadn't picked up the the first time or had forgotten the first time around. But no, it's great. It's great, and I think in terms of the ability to make a TV show that um I've said this before on here, but like I think Breaking Bad was great. Wrote a cover story for National Review. It was the best show on television. Love Breaking Bad. I'll, I'll def- defend Breaking Bad till I'm blue in the face, but to make a prequel that is wholly original, but also v- relatively, there's some f- slight narrative conflicts. That is, but on the whole, certainly loyal to the spirit of the original. That is, it's really hard when you think about it, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they kind of pulled it off, which is yeah. just sort of wild. No, I'm,
1: I'm excited. I just love, I just love Bob Odenkirk. I just think he's like he. He just ha- he has such a. I mean, th- this was obviously true of Brian Cranston too, which is such a range. I mean, like now, now suddenly we're doing punditry about a five year old TV show. But uh, I love right. Bob Odenkirk; he was great. in in with Bob and David, he he was in the Little Women movie a year or two ago. I found that that a little strange. Was kind
0: Did of. Did you funny. see Nobody? No, that's I've Bob about, Odenkirk heard, as yeah. John Wick, oh my and gosh, um, yeah. and it's shocking that he can that he can pull it off at all. Um, it's a pretty good movie. I'm sure there will be a sequel. Um. No, but I, I loved, um, him with, um, in with Mr. Show, right? Yeah. That was what it was. yeah. Yeah. Um, but if for a long, long time, I mean, it shows you how people should just, they should, they should stick with their dreams. Uh, <laughs> because for the longest <laughs> time, what's his face? The other guy. Cross.
1: Yeah. David Cross. Yeah.
0: Cross was the, the guy who's like the, the one who made something of himself sort of career wise out of that show. And then um, Odenkirk just sort of came b- from behind and, um, Became and a kind of Became an unbelievably
1: prestigious TV actor yeah, yeah. And, and film star now. Yeah, you wouldn't have expected it necessarily.
0: Um, he should, um, what's the uh, the soccer show? Um, Ted
1: Lasso, is that the one?
0: Yeah, he, he could play Ted Lasso's brother. <laughs> like he, should, he could have a, like a cameo thing where he comes in because he kind of looks like Ted Lasso a little bit.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I never thought about it. It looked more shriveled and less winsome.
0: Actually, it would be great is if he played the character from nobody. So he was like he goes to London to like murder all tons of people, and Ted Lasso's like giving him inspirational greeting card kind of warnings about why you shouldn't be killing all these people. Um, I think it's the it's the pop culture fair that we need in twenty twenty three. All right. I'm just truly rambling because I'm just recovering from a fever and um all sorts of neuron connections that I have. On a, heretofore not aware of are screwing with my mind so uh Edgar, if I don't talk to you before Christmas uh, Merry Christmas
1: yeah same to and, you. happy and day year.
0: Uh, and a happy Hanukkah even though I know it's not your thing it's it's not really Mike Pence's thing either if you saw his Hanukkah wishes thing did you see that I did not yeah so like technically a menorah is just a candelabra and you can have as many like or like the like most of the year the the Jewish Candelabra thing is seven candles, but kind of the whole bag of like Hanukkah is that it's, it's eight plus the Shamas, you know, Mm -hmm. eight crazy nights as Talmudic scholar Adam Sandler would say. And, um, he used the wrong menorah in his Hanukkah best wishes thing. And, um, which is just like bad staff work, I have to say. So, but anyway, uh, Goodbye, Egger. Thank you for doing this.
1: So long, Jonah. Thanks.
0: Okay, so Egger has left the studio. Um, I'm sorry if I came across as a bit rusty and um, distracted. It's only because I'm a bit rusty and distracted. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm hoping in 20, among my resolutions for 2023, it's a long list. Um, uh, I'm hoping to get more uh, team dispatch people on the, on the Remnant. Um, And, um, so I was glad to have Edgar on and, um, I will talk more about, uh, my trip on a future podcast. I do have exciting news. I have, uh, it's taken us, um, just negotiations have been brutal, you know, shape of the table. Um, you know, what's going to be on the menu? Um, how many people in each side's entourage, all of that kind of stuff. But, um, my people and, uh, the fair Jessica's people have finally reached terms and, uh, the fair Jessica, if all goes according to plan, will be on the next episode of the remnant. Um, we're going to try and find a time to record tomorrow. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about, um, the trip, I suppose. And if I don't cover all that, I can always do that on the solo thing and um but we had a really we had a really nice time i just as i said i came back um, um under the weather and i'm just only now coming out of um the fever dreams so um um it was good to be gone thanks to everybody who covered more for me including the inestimable chris Starwalt. and um with that i'll see you next time
1: No, you won't this is a podcast